Are you happy tonight? I am too. I've been looking forward to tonight for several days. Um, And I I really believe I have something to share with you tonight that's going to... Well, my goal is always that you either learn something that you didn't know or that you have greater understanding of something that you already did know. You know, that's always my goal when I'm listening to someone or a teacher or reading the Word of God is to have, you know, either something that I did not know that comes alive to me or to have greater understanding of something that I already did know. And, um, and I know that's your heart too. Um, I just want to share with you a little bit tonight about, we've been doing a class in, uh, in our deep classes on Sunday morning called The Blessed Families, and um, this is a segment out of that teaching. Um, that's just kind of what's in my heart and my mind right now, because we've been doing this for, what, five or six weeks, and I thought, um, I'm just going to share with you tonight a little bit about what we have been learning in that class, and it really stems around um, that we, we all need to have spiritual growth in our life. Um, you know, God expects us to grow spiritually just like we expect a child to grow physically. And that's basically what this message is about tonight. And it's, um, I want to I make sure that I guess I give credit where credit due. This is a class that Pastor Robert Morris taught, a series, I should say. Um, he's a phenomenal teacher, and uh, a lot of what I'm going to use tonight is what we, we heard him teaching us and I just, I am just passing it on to you, okay? I didn't, I did not, I guess, um, put all this together myself. There are some of my own thoughts and, and everything in here, but uh, this is what we learned in one of the uh, classes that we, that we, that he taught in this series. So it's a story, and it's based around the prodigal son, and that's in Luke 15. Um, if you want to turn there, or, and it's going to be, I guess, up on the screen also, but um, it's, it's all based around the story of this young man. And uh, the word prodigal just means to be reckless or wasteful. One who leaves what they've been taught to live recklessly, but later makes a repentant return. That's what the word prodigal means. And um, this whole teaching is around this story. And it really intrigued me because he showed us the different steps that this young man went to. Um, to get back where he needed to be, okay? And uh, in the story, we can see four spiritual stages in which the prodigal son experienced. Um, and I really believe that this young man was going through these stages. And the first stage that he, that he uh, started out in is kind of a, it's a stage where we kind of all start. And it's in Luke 15, 11 through 12. And a certain man had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods or inheritance that falls to me. So the father divided them, divided to them his livelihood. You notice it says them, because this younger brother had an older brother. Okay, so he divided them his inheritance. So you notice that the father doesn't uh, reprimand or scold the young man for asking for his portion, but instead he actually gives it to him. All right? So when... When we are born again, you know, we're born again as spiritual babies. We're not born mature Christians, okay? So we, we all have to start somewhere, and that's kind of what he was saying here, that this, you know, we start off in this give me stage, you know, and we have, because we have needs. 
You know, we need nurturing. We need fed. We need mentored. And, and God's okay with that, all right? He's okay that we start out in the give me stage. First uh, Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby so that we all start out as babes in Christ and that's where we all start. So he, but he wants us to grow, okay? So we don't get saved thinking, well, you know, I think I just need to do something for God today. You know, that's not really why we get saved. We get saved because we're sinners and we're in need of a savior, you know? We have, we have, uh, we have needs, you know, we, we give our lives to him because our lives are starting to look like a train wreck a lot of times. And some of you can attest to that, you know, and whether it doesn't look like it or not, it is. You know, we're, we're lost and undone without him. So we get, we get born again because we have needs. Um, you know, one of the best prayers that we can pray is, God, I need you, or God, help me, you know. We've seen Peter do that when he was, you know, brave enough to walk out on the water, but again, he began to sink. He cried out to Jesus, said, Jesus, help me. And what did Jesus do? He reached down and took his hand and pulled him up, right? And that's what he does for us, amen? So, so we start out at this stage. Matthew 11, uh, 28 and 30, Jesus is speaking. He says, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, there's that word, I will give you rest, all right? So, you know, he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I guess, you know, an example I can use, I guess, in this illustration is when you bring a newborn baby home from the hospital, you don't expect them to take the trash out the next day, right? No, I mean, I hope you don't. But at the same time, you don't expect to have to change the diaper of your 10-year-old, do you? Right? No. Because you expect them to grow, all right? You know, we expect them to grow and to mature. So, you know, it's okay that we start out in the give me stage, but we can't park there forever. You know, how many of you know that life's journey is, it's a road, it's not a parking lot? Life journey, it, life's journey is a road, it's not a parking lot. If we're gonna continue on life's, the life's journey that God has for us, we can't stay in the parking lot. We have to mature, we have to grow. So, so we all start out at the give me stage, but we have deep need because we have deep needs that only God can fill. And John 3:16, that's why it says, For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. But in order to move forward, it takes spiritual maturity. All right? And in 2 Peter 3:18, it says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need to grow or to advance. I like something that, uh, I don't know how many of you like to listen to Joyce Meyer once in a while. She's kind of one of my favorite ladies, you know. Uh, the thing I like about her is that she's so transparent. I mean, she just lays it all out. She's kind of like Pastor Brian was talking last Sunday. We don't have anything to hide here. We just lay it all out. And that's what she does. And I, I, I really like her, her transparency of that. But there's something that she's, I've heard her say more than once. And, she's, and I, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I, I don't if I get this exactly right. But she says, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm a whole lot farther than I was. You know, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm a whole lot farther than I was. 
And what is she saying there? She's saying, you know, I'm making progress, right? She says, I'm making progress. And the truth is, well, we never can get to the point where we think and say we have arrived. As long as you're alive and breathing air on this earth, you can grow. You know, we can grow. So the main thing is that we just make progress. That should be all of our goals, uh, to just to make progress. All right, so that's the give me stage. And then we see the next stage that, you know, we can move into is the stage that he ref- referred to as the use me stage. And this can be, this can be good or bad. You know, it depends on the person's heart. There is a use me that comes from a pure and humble and submissive heart. You know, and that's a good use me because it's coming from a yielded life, right? You know, an example we have of this is Jesus speaking of himself in John 6.38. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father who sent me. You know, this is a good use me. It's a use me that's offered in humble submission. And, you know, and we've seen that throughout his life as he walked. He never, come, he never spoke of what he, he wanted to speak. He only spoke of what the Father uh, told him to speak. He only did what the Father instructed him to do. Be, and the reason is because he was in humble submission to the Father. But there's also a use me that's not so good. And that is a use me so I can be seen. Or it's a use me so I can be noticed. Or, it's so, or so I can feel significant about myself, all right? And this isn't a positive use me. It's a use me that isn't focused on lifting up Jesus or bringing glory to the Father. It's a self-seeking or self-promoting out of a selfish ambition. And that's a bad use me. We don't want, we don't want to slide off into that, Okay. And the truth is that we are, we'll all at some point can be challenged in that area, all right? It, we can be challenged there. Um, Philippians 2.3 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Uh, conceit just means excessive pride, okay? So let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You know, and I think in the day and age we live in, because we live in such a dog-eat-dog world that we, we have a different definition of ambition than really what the Bible refers to it as. And even what the actual definition of it is, which I actually wrote down here, um, the word ambition, if you look it up, it says an ardent or zealous desire for rank, fame, or power. That's what the word ambition actually means. I was reading that, it's like, Gosh, that kind of sounds like some of the politicians I know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, a zealous desire for rank, fame, or power. And this is, you know, we think about it. This is what caused Satan's fall. This is what caused Satan to be cast out of heaven. You know, it was, it's what the Bible refers to as the iniquity that was found within him. And it was this selfish ambition when he says, I will be like the Most High God. I will be like the Most High God. It's a self-promoting kind of use me, and it's not healthy, okay? It actually stems from pride. And as you know, what, is pride, what does pride proceed? A fall, right, yep. And Jesus said that in Luke ten eighteen. He says, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So, you know, it's, it's what got Satan kicked out of heaven, 
It's also what got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. And it was this selfish ambition to rise above what they were supposed to rise above. They got their eyes on the wrong thing. When Satan said, if you eat of this tree, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So, you know, it was a, um, it was a self-seeking thing that, that got them in trouble. So does this mean that, you know, to be motivated or to be a high achiever is a bad thing? And the answer is no, but you have to ask yourself why. What's your why? You know, is it to glorify and honor God or is it some other reason? So, you know, we need to be very, very careful about the things that Satan uses to trip us up sometimes that sometimes come in subtle ways that we don't maybe recognize. But that's why we're to have our eyes open and that's why we're to be always mindful of the Holy Spirit's voice within us so that we don't get tripped up. Amen? Okay, so let's look at this. Um, this is back to the story of the prodigal. It's in Luke 15, 13. And it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And... Um, so we can see that this young man's life, that what he was given to him, what his father gave to him, did not bring him, the, bring him the happiness that he was after. Now he thinks he has to do something. You know, so he, he uh, leaves his father's house in search of happiness. You know, um, Pastor Brian's kind of been teaching on this, like with, with uh, you know, this, the sermon he did the weekend before last, I believe, with Martha and Mary, and Mary thought she had to do something. But, you know, when she confronted Jesus why Mary wasn't helping her, he said, you know, she has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. So sometimes, like the prodigal or like Martha, we think we have to do something in order to feel like we're significant or that we're, um, that we're basically... Um, making progress, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with doing things, but we have to make sure that we're, we're doing them for the right reason. Okay, so this was where the use me was misdirected, and, um, and it ended up uh, taking this young man on a journey that God did not really have for him to go on. That was not part of God's plan, because we know that he ended up squandering everything that, that the Father had given, us, given him. You know, and there's this... Uh, there's this thought in this story, and it's that happiness is not about something we can do, or it's not about something that we can either get or that we think we need. It's not about somewhere we can go in search of happiness, but it's about someone. It's about someone, and his name is Jesus Christ. And it, that is where our happiness and our fulfillment lies in, is knowing him, right? Knowing him. Um, it's not about something or somewhere. It's about someone. Amen. It's about someone. So that's time. To, you know, that's the reason sometimes we need to kind of take a look under the hood, I guess, and ask ourselves that question: What's motivating me? Are our hearts tender before Him in humble submission, like Jesus, when He said, "I have come not to do my will, but the will of the One who sent me," or is it some something else? You know, what's our why? All right. Um, 
We have an example of this very thing in, um, it's in Acts, the eighth chapter, and it's 18 through 21. And it's when Simon the magician saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles, the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And he offered them, the apostles, money saying, give me this power also that on anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this manner for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. So you ask your question, well, what was wrong with his heart? You know, why was his heart not right? Well, the reason his heart wasn't right because Simon was desiring this gift for his own personal gain. It was for his own personal recognition. Um, and that's why Peter said, your heart is not right. Your motivation is not pure. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just a prime example of what can happen if we get um, if we get our eyes off of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and get it on something that we think we can do or think we can earn, you know, or, or we have our motivation and our uh, priorities out of order. Because, you know, First Samuel sixteen seven says, For the Lord does not see as a man sees, for a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at our hearts. You know, the Lord can see us to the very marrow of our bones. He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves sometimes, you know, and, uh, you know, so it, it isn't that we can hide anything from him. We need to open up our hearts and, and, and let him examine us and say, what's my motive and what's my purpose? So, okay, but does it, you know, I don't want to take this too far does, and think, make you think that the Lord does not want us to, to uh, hear us say that. He does want to hear us say, use me. He, you know, he most certainly does. Jesus said in Matthew 9.37, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So he needs us to say, use me, but it needs to be for the right purpose and the right motive. Amen? Okay. First um, Peter 5.5 5 tells us to be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, um, you know, that's a promise that, you know, that we can sink our teeth in, that he, he clothes, you know, if we will clothe ourselves with humility, God, and, re, and, and not become prideful, he will give us the grace that we need to fulfill whatever it is he has called us to do. All right, so as we move on here, we, need, we move on to the next stage that this young man is has found himself in, and then that is in the what we call the search me stage. And this is where we can see uh, spiritual maturity finally taking place in this young man's heart. This is where spiritual maturity takes, it gets its start and takes place. In Luke 15, 7, it says, but when he came to himself, when the young man came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish from hunger. You know, we need to remember that um, when, he, when he finally came to this part in his life, he's, he's, 
he's no longer the life of the party now. He's no longer, you know, he, his friends are all gone because he has spent all that he had, you know, and they were only good until the money ran out. And now he finds himself in this pig pen feeding pigs, and he has a, a chance to look within his own heart. He's, he's examining his why, you know. So um, I think what he really is saying here is when he said, says he came to himself, or you could say he came to the end of himself. He finally came to the end of himself. And he starts to reflect and look within his own heart. And he's searching his own heart and remembering his father's house. Remembering the one that loved him. You know, he's now remembering the one that loved him. And he's starting to search his own heart, you know, to find out why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I here? You know, what is my purpose here? Why, what is my motive for being here? You know, where is my joy? Where is my satisfaction coming from? So there's this inward search going on in his heart. And, um, you know, it is a shame that he had to squander all that his father had given him before he got to that point. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes this happens in people's lives. You know, it does happen in people's lives. You know, we have to get to a place where we're kind of between a rock and a hard place before sometimes we will turn and start searching our own hearts and asking ourselves why. You know, but the thing we can be thankful of is the mercy of the Father. You know, the Father's arms were always open and ready to receive him back. And I think in his heart, I think he knew that. And that's why he starts searching his heart, all right? In Psalms 139... 23 and 24, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked or selfish way in me. In other words, it says, show me where I am weak and give me your grace to become strong. Show me where my weak parts are and give me your grace, Lord, so I can become strong in you. Amen. So, you know, this is a good lesson for all of us. Um, as long as our focus remains on something external, for example, it could be like our coworker or our spouse or trying to please or impress the eyes of men, we are still spiritually immature. All right? As long as our focus is external and we're not willing to look within our own hearts and say, search me, then we're still spiritually immature. So we're being guided by Basically, our, the Bible calls our flesh, right? Um, or having, being carnally minded, as it also says. So in order to be spiritually mature believers, we have to come to a place where we can say, search my heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Search me, know me, try me, and create within me a clean heart. This is when God can really begin to do a work within us and make necessary adjustments needed to move us down the right path that he has had prepared for us to walk. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end leads, into, leads to destruction. That's what this young man had come to realize. The path that he was on he thought was right, but it ended up costing him dearly. He lost everything that he had, you know, because it was the way of the world. 
There's a, there's a way of the world, which the Bible refers to as the broad way, and there's a way unto the righteousness, which the Bible refers to as the narrow way. And if we're gonna, if we're gonna have success in our Christian walk and mature in the things that he would have us and do the things that he would have us to do, we're gonna have to learn to walk on that narrow road, not the broad road. The broad road's where your flesh will take you. <laughs> your flesh always wants to go to the broad road. But, you know, if we want to, if we want to do life God's way, we have to learn to walk on that narrow road. Um, Robert Morris, he gave this, in this series, in this very lesson, he gave this uh, example that really resonated in my heart. And, um, you know, God was uh, kind of dealing with him. This is some years back, but I believe, but God was dealing with him about an attitude that he had. And he was, you know, bringing that before the Lord. And um, the Lord kind of gave him this picture to kind of help him see what he needed to see. And in this picture that of, in his heart that the Lord gave him, he gave him this picture that if he said, if, if I was God and I was looking at myself, he said, I had this picture that God was looking through a tube. You think of a round tube, you know, like when you're a kid and your mom got done wrapping all the Christmas presents and she used it all up and there's that tube left, you know, that you like to play with. So just think of God looking through that tube and he's looking at you and me, you know, and, he, and he's watching us through that tube. And so, you know, he's watching you and you're going along and going along. Pretty soon he sees you do something that's very unpleasing. Maybe you, you have a, a flash of anger and you throw a fit, you know, or you say something that's not right you know, that's insulting or whatever. And he's looking at you through that tube and he says, oh, oh, no, that's not right. Don't be doing that. And you say, yes, Lord, but did you see what she said to me? And he says, no, I didn't. I was just looking at you, you know. And it's kind of like, you know, that's really what he's doing. And, you know, we're saying, well, but, but this is the reason why. He said, no, I didn't see that. I was just looking at you. And, you know, and it, it really gave uh, Pastor Roberts a revelation of how we're to behave. Because God is not looking at only at our actions, he's also looking at our reactions to the things that come against us and how we react to them. And what he was saying was, you know, God could have put that tube over Jesus and he never once would have been disappointed in his action or his reaction. It was perfect every time. Even when they were nailing him to the cross and he was dying and bleeding and giving his last breath, he said, Father, will you please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? You know, so, you know, that was Jesus' reaction. So he never did or said or did anything, you know, that was displeasing to the Father. Now, I know that we're not him, but that's who we're supposed to look at he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we can't, we can't go the world's way. We have to look at his example if we're going to live a way that is mature and that is upright before the Lord. If we're going to grow in our maturity, that's, that's the model that we look at. Amen? So, okay. He goes on to say, you know, we're not responsible for anyone else's actions. We're only responsible for our own actions and our own reactions. Um, 
we'll move into this very last thing that, uh, that the young man finally got to. And it's in Luke 15, 19. And we see, um, we see repentance coming into his heart of this young man. When he returns to his father's house, he says, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servant. Make me like your hired servant. So he's come full circle here. You know, can you see the change in his heart? Before, before he left his father's house, he's in the give me stage. He says, give me what is mine. That's where he started. But now he is saying, Father, make me a servant. So you can see the, the change in his heart through this whole thing. You know, he's no longer the same man that, young man that left, the, left his father's house when he came back. There's been a change. There's been spiritual growth in his life. So um, there's a notable change that's taken place. And, you know, I believe, what the, I believe what the young man was saying to his father, I believe he's saying, even though I know that I'm your son, teach me how to be a servant. I know I'm your son, but teach me how to be a servant. So he's now, he is now sounding more like Jesus. When Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And that's kind of where this young man has finally come to. He says, I know I'm your son, but teach me how to be a servant. You know, the amazing thing about this story, I think, and, and Pastor Roberts, he pointed this out, is that the older son, who never left home, who was, he was, but yet he was really no better off spiritually than his younger brother. You know, the servants told him, your father is throwing a party to celebrate your brother's return, but he was indignant about that and full of anger and jealousy. You know, he was livid, or you could say he was fiercely angry that his father would throw this party for his lost son that came back. And we pick this up in Luke 15, 28, when he says, he says, but, I, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. In verse 29, he says, so he answered and said to his father, lo, or look, these many years I, I have served you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you have never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. So we can see that the older brother is still in the give me stage. He says, you have never gave me a goat that I can make merry with my friends. And the father says to him, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. You know, the, the older brother was kind of missing the force for the trees, you could say. Um, you know, I believe what the father was trying to say was this. It's not about what I can give you, son. It's about the fact that you're with me. And when you're with me, all I have is yours. You know, so, you know, even though he didn't live the life of a, of a prodigal, he still had not grown spiritually at all. You know, the younger brother actually was in better shape spiritually when he came back than the older brother that never left. You know, and that's, that's kind of sad.
You know, so, um, so we can see that, you know, that the younger brother through heartfelt repentance had prog progressed from give me stage to all the way to make me stage. And then he learned to be a servant. Um, but the older brother, even though he had never left his father's house, and in his own eyes, he had always done everything right, had not grown spiritually at all. He was still stuck in that give me stage. You know, spiritual maturity is evident in our lives when we find ourselves seeking the giver instead of always seeking a gift. When we find ourselves seeking the giver instead of always seeking a gift. Um, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. You know, and... Um, it is, you know, it's like Matthew 6.13 tells us. It says to, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. If we will seek him first, then all these things will be added to us. Uh, we're to seek, when we are seek the, king, the kingdom, you're with the king, when we seek the kingdom, we're with the king. And when we're with the king, all he has is made available to us. All right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean that we can't ask God for something. I don't want you to think that. You know, in, in John 16, 24, Jesus tells us to ask. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. But when we do ask, we must ask with a pure heart and a right motive. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's an important lesson for us to learn, is that when we ask God, you know, we, that we do it with a right motive and out of a pure heart, and that we learn to seek the giver and not the gift. Amen? Okay. Um, I had a story. What time is it? 7.45, we're doing pretty good. You know, that kind of goes along with this, um, this, whole, this whole lesson that we've been talking about tonight. And I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody other than Linda, but this was many, many years ago now, more than I'd probably like to remember. And this was kind of a lesson that the Lord showed me. And at the time, it wasn't maybe something that I would call pleasant, but sometimes those things aren't. But sometimes the fruit from those things are, well, there's, you can't put a price on it. You know, they're, invalu they're valuable in the sense that um, you, you, the revelation you receive from the lesson that you learned, I guess is what I'm saying. But, you know, when it comes to this thing of humility and, and searching our hearts and asking God to search us and to try us and to look within our hearts to see if there's anything that needs an adjustment, um, many years ago before, this was when I first, this was actually the very first class that I ever taught. You know, we used to have um, classes, we, we had classes way back when, before church started, and this was several years ago. But anyway, the first class I ever taught was a men's class, and um, I had substitute taught for, for different teachers, you know, before that, but this was the first class that I was responsible for. And, you know, it was a little nerve-wracking and a little, you know, I was, I was a little nervous, to be honest. And I, I had prepared and everything, and I came to church that Sunday morning. And I walked in the door, 
you're going to think this is pretty funny, but Pastor Brian said last Sunday that we're supposed to be transparent, so I'm, I'm doing my best. I walked in the door, and I believe one of the ushers was there, and he looked at me, and he kind of had this funny smile on his face, and he goes, we've been looking for you. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're a half an hour late. And I was. I did, you know, I can't tell you why, because I'm a person that's usually always early, but he was right. The class was supposed to start at 9 o'clock, and I walked in the door at 9.30. And so, I mean, I, he probably could see the color leave my face, because this was the very first class that I was ever going to teach, and I am a half an hour late, you know. So I can remember walking across the foyer, because the class is over here in the ush, where the, um, the uh, usher's room is in that area, and I am praying as I'm walking across the, floor, the foyer there, the commons area. I was just praying, God, please don't let there be hardly anybody in there. Please, Lord. Maybe one or two guys. I did not want to open the door. I wanted to go back out the front door and get in my truck, but I, I thought I can't do that. So I walked through this door, and I, or opened this door, and lo and behold, there's guys all the way around the wall. There's not one seat that's not taken. I bet there was 20 people in that room, you know, and they're all looking at me as I walk in the doors. And of course, you know, guys, they had to, well, they were kind, actually. But, you know, this, they just laughed. You know, they were fine, but I felt terrible. You know, so that was a very short class, needless to say. <laughs> You know, and I was pretty much upside down by then anyway. So anyway, but I remember that's not, this is all, that's not my point. The point is this, when, when that class is over, I dismissed him, and I was walking back across the foyer. I remember just praying out to God, saying, God, I don't want to do this. I don't, I'm not cut out for this. I don't want to do this. That was embarrassing. And I just heard him say, he said, I, he said this within my heart. You know, it wasn't audible to my ears, but it was very audible in my heart. He said, Tommy, if you're going to be concerned about what people think and how they react, he said, what I have planned for you, you will not succeed in. In other words, you cannot succeed if you, in what I want you to do, if you're going to be concerned about what people think or, or how they react. And I've never forgot that. You know, I have never forgot that because... You know, we do have to lay down self if we're going to accomplish what it is that he wants us to do, you know. And that's what this, this young man found out through this whole journey of his, in his life from starting out to the, from the give me stage to the use me stage to the search me stage to the make me stage that he had to come to the place where he put self aside and said, Lord, I want to be your servant, I want to be your servant. And, um, you know, that's a good word for all of us. Because he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And don't think he don't, because if you would ever told me I would be standing up here today, I'd say, you're nuts, you're crazy. I would never do that. But, you know, you have to lay down self if you're going to fulfill what he has asked you to do. You know, the Bible, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me. And what is the cross? The cross is, is a type and shadow of sacrifice. So, you know, we have to sacrifice self and self-will if we're going to do the purpose that, and fulfill the purpose that he has for us. There is no self 
Paul said, I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. You know, so we have to lay down self if we're ever going to mature to the place where God can use us and that we can be a servant for him. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right. I've got a few minutes left. I have one more thing I want to talk to you about. This kind of been on my heart. And this is kind of shifting gears. Um, but I thought, hey, I'm here. I'm going to share this with you. And we're going, to, you know, we're going to take up our evening offering here in a little bit. But I want to talk to you just a little bit about that. Because I think there's some things that it's in our giving that's very important that we make sure that we have straight. Um, we, we need to learn that in our giving that we give it in the right way. Um, when we give, whether it's an offering or whether it's something God asks us to do, whether it's um, when we come into this house and we lift our hands and worship him and praise and worship, all those things that we do are to honor him. Amen? It's to honor the king. And um, our attitude in our giving should never be like a duty type of thing. It's not a duty. It's a privilege. Okay? It's not a duty. Uh, and we also should never not give in the sense that, well, I got to do this or God won't give to me. You know, that's, that's not the right attitude either. D- does he bless our giving? Absolutely, he does. I'm, I'm a testament to that. He will bless your giving, but we give to honor. That's, that's our, should be our motive. We've been talking about motives tonight, and maybe that's why this was stirring in me, because we, we need to make sure that our motive is pure in our giving. Um, you know, we should be willing to give because he first gave. You know, and he didn't give us a portion of what he had, like he asked us to do. He gave us all of the best that he had, and that was his own son right? You know, and if we think in that terms, it will really help us to be what he asked for, and that's a cheerful giver. You know, when you realize the awesome gift that he gave, and he gave it while we were yet sinners, it makes our giving a lot easier, because he, he can only really rejoice and be honored if it's a cheerful giver, you know, if it's giving out of the right heart. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave first, all right? So I just wanted to kind of, um, I guess, share that with you. Um, you know, tithing and giving, it's, you know, it's throughout the Bible. It's, it's um, you know, it's in sowing and reaping. I mean, that's, that's like gravity. It's, it's a biblical truth that cannot be denied. It's just, you know, you know, when you plant a seed, you'll get a crop. But God wants to give to us not because of, you know, um, because of something that we, uh, some performance on our part. He gives because he's a giver, you know, and he's good because that's his nature, all right? And God isn't good because he does good things. He does good things because he is good. You know, it's his nature to give, so um, we don't really have to worry about that end. It's, it's an automatic thing. He will give back when we give. And, and um, so we can give in a way that is pleasing to him because we want to honor him. And I guess that's what I wanted to share with you tonight. So.